All right, let's talk about Friday's Child. Okay. What do you think? I wanted to hate this episode. Why? I don't know, but there there was a point when I realized that this was one of those where they meet a weird tribe all dressed weird and there's customs that, okay, it's going to be one of these episodes. And about half of it was really good. They haven't really had one of those episodes, though. Yeah, I know, but you can tell that Star Trek's the kind of show that has those kind of episodes, and now we're seeing it. I mean, one of the you know one of the interesting things about this episode is that this is probably the first example of this kind of episode. Okay, this does happen. Yeah, um, uh, and it, this is this is one of the standard like seven Star Trek plots. <laughs> so uh, you have that to look forward to. I, I'm excited in a very interesting and... some of them are good and some of them are bad well, this like this a... one well i mean i guess you could consider the apple is also in this sort of vein um but the apple w- wasn't really about a different culture it was about a computer a computer so there was no vol in this episode controlling their actions um okay so what 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 do you mean when you liked about half of it? What half did you like and what half did you not like? Okay, so this entire um, – one of the main characters in this episode is this woman who is the wife of basically their chief, the tier they call uh, them. And anytime she is on screen, the episode is amazing because she is probably one of the most interesting characters that I've seen in Star Trek so far beyond the original cast. Yeah. Um, When she's not on the screen, there's – the plot was extremely unfocused because you have, you know, this decoy on the ship and you have the Klingon and you have the and then they have this war between the tier and his second. And, you know, then you have these rules and they have to kill the woman and then they're killing the guy because he, t- you know, and it's just like it's it seemed like there was a little too much plot in the episode. And while it all did mesh does mesh together in the end it felt very unfocused well i I, I guess i'm just it partially might just be i'm not as invested in this character of this other guy who's taking control of you know this tribe or whatever um and i just wanted to see this pregnant woman kicking ass and climbing rocks like i i think that may have just been all all i mean there's a couple different things there right is that you know number one you don't have the pregnant woman kicking ass um, un- unless the tear is murdered. And you can't really set the episode up Oh yeah, with him being already dead because we do need to meet him first to establish how this society functions when that happens. No, I, it's one of those, I know why they did what they did. I feel like it could have been done a little tighter. I, I guess, um, you know, the episode does have a couple of scenes that probably could have been trimmed. Uh, and, and like you said, replaced with something else that went into that a little bit more and tightened it up a bit. But, you know, on the whole, I think it's an effective episode. And all of the disparate pieces, while they may not seem to work well together by the end, they all do tie into each other. And, you know, take take the Klingon, for example. Yeah. Um, there's really no reason for the Klingon to be there on first glance, but it does two things for the episode at the end. What it does is it sets up a reason for the enterprise to care about this conflict aside from yes. the mineral contract. I mean, cause come on, that's boring. Like, 
We're yeah. not we're not going to have an episode about mining contracts. Yeah, getting and a mining contract, you know, or not is not an interesting plot, but keeping the mining contract out of the hands of the Klingons. Yeah, that he, is interesting because yeah. that would, you know, whoever gets this planet will have a massive resource uh, advantage. And it also nicely it ties in at the end, of course, because the 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 society here the capellans are uh, situ and and I like the fact that at the very beginning of the episode they're introduced because McCoy was established to have been stationed on this planet yeah. for a few months and he has knowledge of their culture and this yeah. kind of thing which I, you know I like and he does this nice thing uh with the klingons specifically where uh you know Kirk is about to put his foot in his mouth when the when the klingon says something when he's in front of the tear and, uh, you know, McCoy takes it over and just is totally like, I just called that dude a liar. Yeah, Kirk. but is it like his his words are hollow or something uh, like that? Unimportant. Unimportant, yeah. He has like this very – and everybody else in the room just laughs at him because, you know, apparently this is this huge insult. Yeah. yeah. And and by the end of the episode, the, you know, the, the Klingon has a role there because, of course, uh, it, it sets up a nice – because, you know, we've seen the Klingons once before, and we don't really know that much about them other than they're they're an enemy of the Federation, and they're very violent, yeah. and, and the, the, you know, they, they, uh, they're not peaceful like the Federation, and they conquer. They do not, you know, they do not share, basically. You have to say, there might be a, um, the, the Mirror Universe episode. I wonder if, uh, you know, that, 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 that's what I think Klingon must be like, what the evil... Uh, enterprises yeah i mean pr pretty much yeah <laughs> that that's pretty much the case yeah uh so it does set up a nice you know uh, dichotomy there between the federation and the klingons again and it gives us information about the federation i, I like it because it gives us information about the federation sort of in absentia like it it is set up as we're not telling you what the federation is we're telling you what the federation isn't through yeah. the example of the klingons okay. and of course the other thing is that the Enterprise, under the command of Scotty, goes off on this wild goose chase with the Klingons who are uh, faking distress signals. And so you do get that as well. Like There's a little bit of a, a higher stakes there because the Enterprise is in danger again. I also get the sense that the ent this entire revolution, essentially, that happens on, on Capella is the Klingons instigation my my assumption is that just before obviously you know the klingon realized that this one won't negotiate but notices the second has some ambition and obviously is, the klingons are going to back that up yeah absolutely i mean he do, the klingon totally does yeah he, i mean there's even an, an explicit scene uh towards the end where you know the klingon says oh well we had an agreement and you know basically yeah. he's like eh, you know whatever i don't care but i think that's very interesting because uh before before the revolution happens, uh, you know, the second – and I don't know any of their names or what their exact roles are, so I hope that everybody is following along. But um, the second is basically very power-hungry, very ambitious, wants to – you know, is going – wants power, is going with the Klingons. But he's about to – at one point, he right when he takes power, Kirk says, remember, you're making decisions for a lot more people now. And the new tier stops for a second. And thinks and says, yeah, basically, yeah, you're right. I have a lot more people to think about. And, you know, the clan gets upset. And he's like, no, I have to reevaluate this. And sure. I think that's a very interesting 
facet of this guy's character because while he is very ambitious, very power hungry, is willing to murder the chief of his tribe to get ahead, he does so because he believes that he will do what is best for uh, his planet or his country or whatever and and he eventually does yes and he and i think that speaks very well of him while he is able to be manipulated by the klingons or he does you know threaten kirk he's only doing it for a noble reason i think that says something very specific about what leadership needs to be yeah no i agree with you and uh, you know i think it's interesting because when you get into the last um probably half of the episode maybe 20 minutes or so and uh, it becomes a sort of like adventure romp with uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a pregnant woman in the mountains. Yeah. Um, and and it is interesting too because this is the first time that we've seen location shooting in this season. Uh, oh, yeah. Because the budget was cut and they just could not do as much location shooting, hmm. and um, they don't even do like the location isn't even really location shooting all the time. Like it's location shooting when they're in the mountains, and then when they're by the cave, it's like the set again. It's yeah. really bizarre. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, they had, like, a day where they could do the mountains, and then the rest they just did in studio. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the, I guess that's the one problem I have with the second season of Star Trek and, the, you know, the third season, too, because it had even less of a budget. Um, that, you know, the, the lack of location shoot. Like, we really liked the location shooting in the first season. Yeah. We did a lot of it. And the lack of it in the second season makes the show feel, I mean, I still love the show. But it does make it feel, like, a little hokier than it did in the first season. At the same time, I think the second season has seen a massive increase in what they're doing for costumes. Uh, There have been a lot more weird alien costumes in this season than were in the first season. and But we see more aliens, yes, too. Yes, and I think that if, you, if we have to make a trade, I, I like what we have here because I think that it's one thing to see uh, – you know, weird planets and be told that these are all diverse species. It's another to see that they have, you know, the fa- uh, we were talking in the ba- the Babel episode. Um, that Babel. Babel. Um, that Babar? Yes. Uh, in, in Babar, the elephant meets Captain Kirk. Um, you know, everything takes place on the Enterprise, but everyone's wearing, wearing such weird costumes that it feels like many very disparate costumes. Cultures, and we yeah. only see that on this planet. They're dressed very differently. I mean, at the same time, though, the the costumes in this episode are ridiculous. Well, yeah, uh, and also, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I really lament the the, the lack of location shooting because it means that we never really get an episode like Arena mm. um, in this season because you know that's a fantastic episode. It's it's basically all outside, um, and it also has. A weird alien in it so there there is some you yeah know, that's true it's like i understand what you're saying but it's yeah, like a little yeah. lack of I, lack it, of something there and it's possibly one of those i'm trying to find a small consolation yeah so stop doing that i'm sorry i'm a terrible person um but what i think is interesting about the whole romp through the mountains is uh it it it, it they do a very strange thing with the female character yeah so let's talk about this. Yeah, I think we, we, we have to talk about her. Um, what I mean, what did you make of her as a character? I think she's... Okay, see, the, the thing is, her society is has some elements of subordination of women to it. But that being said, this is a very complex character who is... 
showing her agency or lack thereof in relation to this society. In other words, while the society has, you know, believes that, oh, you, t- you know, the, the, he, if you're carrying the, the, the child of the tear, you have to be killed. You know, while the society has this horrible rule, the show does not agree with that. The show does not agree with the position of women. And so she is able to use, she knows what right she does have, and she demands each one of them. She very specifically says, you know, oh, you know, Kirk touches her at one point, and that's a death sentence. And she said, you know, it's my right, my right to see him dead. You know, I'm demanding that. Uh, she, Kirk, uh, the part when McCoy, McCoy is trying to examine her, and she keeps slapping him, you know, because she doesn't want him to touch her. They they are said to not really have doctors. Uh, and based on the her, some of her conversation, they don't even seem to really have midwives or anything like that. Um, so... You know, she slaps him a couple times, and he's trying to. So finally, he hits her, and she's just like, "All right, examine." You know, just which I thought was funny, just because it's not that it's the one thing where hitting a pregnant woman, I think, doesn't come off as horrible as it could have, because I think she is a very strong character who does view this. interplay of physical domination either way as almost a challenge. I don't think she feels so much dominated by Bones as she made an attack and he made an attack and, okay, they're even. See, I I, I can totally see that reading of, of the character. And, and I will say even then, just to continue, while she is climbing the mountains, she's about to give birth and she's obviously having a struggly time and McCoy is helping her. Uh, Spock and Kirk are offering, and she's saying, "No, I, I'll, I'll. It's okay for him to, but I, I, that's it." And she is with very difficulty putting all the effort onto herself. You know, she may have re- may realize that necessity allows for, you know, necessity requires bones to be, you know, touching her, which is something she is not used to because of the rules of their culture. But that's fine. The others do not get that right. Yeah, and I think that. That says something very specific about her, that she is only willing to take the minimum of help because she feels that it would degrade her to take more than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I totally understand what you're saying, but I think— I don't I don't agree with you about the role of women in this society because I don't think that we get enough information to really make that sort of claim. And that's fair. We can get we maybe we can talk about the role of the Tears wife. Well, yeah, because I think it has okay. more to do with the fact that she's the the wife of the Tear and she's carrying the Tears child. And we 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 really only know that uh the the Tears wife when she's carrying a child is not allowed to be touched and if anybody touches her they're immediately put to death. Now, there could be many good reasons for that, not not withstanding, you know, uh, someone trying to kill her to to kill the you know, to kill the yeah, child yeah, yeah. And, and the heir to the throne, um any sort of thing, you know. And we don't really see that many uh, Capellan women in we, this episode. Yeah, we, we see s- one in the beginning where they're offering uh food to Kirk. But but they're, they're, offering, they're not offering food. They're offering a challenge. It, it's, it's, well, it's yeah, exactly. Part. Like they're like, if you take the food, then they're gonna. F- that that's an invitation to fight. Yeah. Um, which McCoy realizes and and you know tells him not to take it. So I think the fact that it's a woman is probably incidental there. And so in yeah. that, I think maybe it's a woman just because you could even say that the Capellans send a woman to do that because they realize that 
the Federation or, or, or perhaps humans have a different view of women than they do. And I, I, at the very end of the episode, when the the second in command who, who becomes the tier after he kills the first tier, uh, you know, puts his life, um, he forfeits his life. Yes. He decides that what he has done is, is, is wrong and, and forfeits his life and, and the Klingon actually shoots him. Um not the not the, the Tyr's wife, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um she doesn't have a phaser. Uh <laughs> that that the, the implication at the end of the episode is that um she's going to act as regent until yes. her child is old enough to assume the throne. Yes. And so I don't think that you know, a society that would be that hostile to women would allow that to happen at the same time we have many examples in our own history where women have become powerful figures just because there were no men and you know i mean queen elizabeth is a prominent example of that for example uh and, and that you know perhaps she is respected because she is so strong and that you know women have to be more more strong and, and 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 act more like men really to get to get the respect from the men in their society i mean it's i i would say maybe it doesn't have to be as gendered because i think they definitely view that anybody has respect by you know because they're fighting um they they specifically they don't have medicine because they're basically told you know that's for the week, you know, we, the, the, you know, curing somebody who is injured or sick, you know, it, almost a natural selection thing. Well, they, they aren't tough enough to survive in the world. And so male or female, if you are not the type of person who could be going through a medical condition and still be able to fight and, you know, walk down a, a you know, a mountain, then you're not a full member of society. Yeah, yeah. Um, you see, I, I think the reason they send a woman to offer this food to Kirk, I don't know, that almost seemed a, uh, 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 it seemed the setup to a really weird cultural joke, by which I mean, you know, woman, dre- you know, dressed very pretty, comes in, you know, offers food to Kirk, and immediately, uh, offers food, which by the way looks like a scrotum to Kirk, and um, you immediately think, having seen episodes of Star Trek before, Oh, God, here's the alien lady who falls immediately in love with Kirk, and they're going to have a romance. And then Kirk says no, and then Bone says no. She's not offering you, you know, sex. You know, they think fighting is more pleasurable than sex. If you take that, that means you get to fight her brother. And then the brother comes in and looks a little upset that he hasn't, you know, offered that challenge. Like, that's that's a, that's a joke in, yeah. in a way to me. Like, I found that very funny. It's a weird little bait and switch from what you were expecting no absolutely um, yeah and I, I mean you know star trek doesn't get enough credit yeah. probably for being funny um and it is funny yeah I, from that scene i get the sense that there probably is a segregation of sex between the uh you know it, on this planet which is a major facet of many uh, uh societies throughout history so we are obviously seeing what most of the men are doing but uh, based on how this, you know, woman is acting, it is possible that that, you know, maybe all the compelling women are that tough. Yeah, maybe it could be. Sad and we, but they just happen to live separately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I also think, you know, uh, moving on to a separate subject, it, it, it's interesting to me that the Capellans are uh, set up as being more like Klingons in the beginning. 
and then by the end of the episode, uh, they're they're seen as being very honorable people who um, you know do have these sort of strange ideas that the Federation does not necessarily agree with in terms of uh, the role of violence in society yeah. and the role that power has in society and and, and the role that um, we take with the sick and injured. Um, all things that the Capellans have in in. Uh, common with the Klingons and not the Federation, but the compellent where the Capellans, uh, it, it, it sort of, I think the episode um, is telling us it's telling, it, it's using the compellents to tell us something about the Klingons yeah. without really giving us an example of Klingon society, which I think is interesting. So what I think is, I think the Capellans meet and the second, especially uh, respect the Klingons because on the surface, the Klingons are all about... They're similar. Yeah, they're about power. They're about this. But then as the episode gets on, it becomes very clear that the, uh, they, they, they're power over rather than power for. And, you know, Kirk explicitly says, you know, you go, with, you sign on with the Klingons, they, you are going to be a part of their empire and beyond their laws. You know, you sign on with the Federation while we're, we're going to negotiate some agreements and, you know, we're getting some of the mining rights here. Um... For the most part, that's about it. You can just govern your society. However, you're not going to be occupied. And, you know, the, the the Klingons seem to care about ambition, about power, but for its own end. And because the tier, you know, the tier by being willing to reconsider because eventually he, at the beginning, he thinks that the old tier is making the wrong decision. That's why he goes with this. He begins to realize that. Well, Klingon... does does he think the tier is making the wrong decision, or does he just view the Klingon as an opportunity to take power? I think it could be a little of both. Sure, because he, if he didn't believe that the Klingons were wholeheartedly the right decision for the, for Capella, if the old tier weren't, you know, still weighing this decision and looking possibly not in favor of the Klingons. Or if the Federation was going to give a better deal for Capella by the New Tier's uh, estimation, then I think he would have made some uh, overtures towards negotiation about that. He would have taken Kirk to the side and said, like, look, here's the deal I'm getting. Beat that. I think he's just very convinced that the right thing for Capella is to go with the Klingon. And See, I, I, I disagree with you, actually, because I okay. think that he wants power, and I don't really think he cares where he gets it. And hmm. I think what you're missing here is that it's not that he it's not that he thinks the Klingons are better for Capella and so he's going to honor their agreement, but it's that he himself yeah. is honorable and honors his agreements, whether or not he may think that they're right for Capella. And I think that's kind of the point of his character, that we we see that he doesn't know what is good for Capella and he doesn't really yeah. care until the end when he realizes the error of his ways. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, he's the kind of character who can realize the error, and I think it is interesting that it, it is the wife of the tear who's the one who shames him into committing suicide, essentially. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. She basically accuses him of not being manly enough, and he realizes, you know, the pregnant woman who just climbed down from the mountain is right. <laughs> what What do you make of, you know, to go back, to go back to the tears wife, what do you make of the whole relationship that McCoy and she developed? Because I, I honestly have never really been able to make that much sense of it. I feel like it's, I mean, part of it is her realizing that, okay, this, you know, she does must have some maternal feelings towards this child and does realize that, okay, you know, 
I'm going to be killed either way. But she says she hates the child at one point. I mean, is that like, is she lying? I don't you know. You can feel ambivalent both ways. Yeah. I mean, she, number one, the ch- what the child represents is something certainly that she's maybe not justified in hatred, but hating, but ex- understandably she hates it. It could, I believe it's just a feeling of ambivalence. She, she does not know how to feel about this child. And I, I think she realizes that McCoy might be the best chance for this child. So she can very, you know, she has to die either way. So maybe I, I think there is an element where, yes, she is very grateful to him and she is very, she does learn, you know, decide to trust him. And she does realize that he will, you know, take care of her and take care of this kid. He is her best hope. At the same time, I think she kind of plays into him a little more than she leads on because the second his back is turned, she she runs away. You know, the second she's able to walk, she does it. I I, I think, and if, she leaves the baby. Yeah, I let's think, not forget that. Yeah, I think if she were feeling a little more along the ways that she was speaking, she may not have been so quick to go. Yeah, she just feels that either way, she feels that she has this duty in this specific way and. You know, she's going to do what she can for this kid, but then she has to go. Yeah, that might be fair. Uh, all right. Well, I, I think we've we've covered it. I don't think there's anything else to say. Do you have anything else to say? Fuck Chekhov. Okay, the good. Second, the, the, the second that Kirk's like, I wonder what's on the ship. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm Chekhov. I'm Russian. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah, Chekhov. Also, uh, yeah. Anyway, so how many triples would you give this one? I will give this seven triples. Seven. Okay. Um, I'll go with that. Seven yeah, yeah, it was a very good, solid episode. Um, There's some things that would have changed, but nothing, you know, nothing major, and it wouldn't have gotten much better, but I liked it. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the Deadly Years. So, yes, the Deadly Years. Okay, sure. What did you think about the Deadly Years? Um, I actually liked this episode very, very much because Chekhov spends the majority of it getting blood drawn. Yeah, they kind of put and, him through some torture here. Yeah, he... he and they he, seem almost happy about it. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, I guess I would uh, be. I, I mean, this is... Poor poor Dr. McCoy is aging rapidly, and every five minutes his accent gets thicker and thicker, and he, you know, goes more and more rural, but uh, at least there's a small consolation as then he gets to scrape skin samples, skin samples off of Chekhov. I cannot say that phrase. <laughs> It's weird, though, because as McCoy gets older, his southern accent comes out more, and he's yeah. like, I'm just an old country doctor. <laughs> like, yeah, like, so... Spock, quit your jaw. Yeah, like, what, what, what are we supposed to make of that? Because it almost makes me think that, like, there is still prejudice against people from the south in the 23rd century and so he has to cover it up like what i don't understand that yeah i don't know i mean weird unless it's just as simple as he 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 you know grows up in georgia so obviously he has this accent but he is working on not just an international but an interplanetary uh thing and then the accent's kind of mesh less with certain people i don't think so because it's know. it always seems like when his 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 defenses are down like it he slips into that because it happened in this side of paradise yeah too. yeah um i i feel i i assume that yeah it must be something that he either consciously or you know an affectation or something he did in college too because i've known plenty of people from the south who in college made a point to you know start speaking a bit more of a <laughs> oh yeah no yeah absolutely i mean like you know i 
I grew up in Delaware and, 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 you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I used to say water instead of water. And I, I kind of trained myself out of that. Yeah. So, you know, it's that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. I, I assume it's something similar. Um, okay. So what, what did you think about, um, this plot and, and what did you think about the characters in it? Um, it's very difficult because I'm on the cusp of 30 and the characters are 30 and they're like, we're 30 years old. And I'm like, Oh God, that's what I look like now. Um, it's, it's funny because this episode is a lot of fun and yeah. you never, I mean, obviously like they, you don't ever really think that they're all going to die except for Chekhov. So it doesn't yeah. really, and it, poor Scotty, like how incidental does he seem to the entire episode? No, they put like a mask on him and it's just like, he has the one scene and you could tell because he, he was one of the oldest of the cast, right? No, I don't think so. Really? I th- I always got, I at least just based on how they looked I always thought he was a little older. Than I'm not sure actually. Um, um I th- think DeForest Kelly was Well, DeForest Kelly was older than he younger than he looks because DeForest okay. Kelly looks old. Okay. I mean, I I either way he looks well we we can agree he looks older than most of the cast. So But uh, I'm fairly I'm fairly certain I mean James Doohan and yeah. DeForest Kelly are the first two uh, cast members in the original series to die, so yeah. we we can infer from that that they were the oldest. But um, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner are certainly no spring chickens at this point. I also like. Uh, I thought it was funny because we know what uh, you know. We know what they look like. Yeah, they're they're at more or less the age that yeah they are today. So it's funny how they don't. That's not how Shatner looks these days anymore. You know, but no, they 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 sort of miss the um, the fact that Shatner would sort of. Um, Expand, <laughs> expand a bit, let's say, uh, and, and become a bit doughy. Um, no, you know, and it's funny because, uh, it, it, you know, we can joke about it, but it, it it's weird. I like the makeup. Okay, we'll just put this out here. The makeup does not look good in high definition. Like no. it, it is not high. You know, HD is not kind to this makeup, and especially the very beginning of the episode where they go down to the planet and. Uh, we have never seen any of the colonists before, right? Yeah. So we have no conception of what they should look like, young or old. I mean, obviously, they're not going to cast old people to play, well, you know, Kirk and Spock and yeah, things yeah, because, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll need makeup for that ca- the, those characters. But And they cast old people as these two main colonists. Who were supposed know? to be like 29 and 27 or something, which yeah. is fine. And they're cute and adorable. And I wish they had not died because I loved them so much. But just like cute old people yeah. who were actually like twenty five, but they Chekhov finds a dead body and it's very obviously someone in old makeup. Yeah, like, you why? could cast another old person, and be like, lie down, take a nap for about five minutes. Yeah, we'll film it. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why they didn't do that. I mean, they, I, 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 I mean, there was the sense that he was older than old. This guy, like, I, I assume the progression was so advanced in him. But again, then. You could still take a really de- – you could find a really decrepit old person. What, like Star Trek Bible stories? Like Chekhov found the body of Methuselah? I was thinking more of like a uh, – you know, there's lepers or something like that. Okay. That's a thing, right? In the Bible? Sure. Yeah, lepers. Let's go with that. Um. Yeah, I don't know. But are you with me in that the plot makes no sense? Like I – 
the episode doesn't really care why they have this thing or it doesn't really make sense why they cure from it but this is a very early example of techno babble yeah they just make something up because the entire plot of the episode is we wanted to put people in old makeup and we wanted to have them you know have an age plague probably can't figure it out anything but just don't worry about it. It reminds me a lot of, of the naked the naked time. Yeah. In that you've got this weird thing going on and they don't know why it's happening and the last five minutes of the episode are them discovering why it's happening and coming up with a cure. None of it really makes any sense. Um, in the naked time, it was a, a, a virus that had, tra- uh, uh, I think, transformed uh, from water. I forget. Something sure. like that. Um, what was and the this, one where they and- had to like... Uh, uh, put the very bright lights and then made Spock blind. What was that? Operation Annihilate. That one. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, it's, it's, they have a few things like that, I assume. And, but again, the point isn't how they, this is not a medical mystery. You the know? point, this yeah. Is, the, yeah, the, it's not realistic. No one cares. Yeah, <laughs> the, the point is not that. The point is the interplay and the characters. Yeah. What this sort of thing, it's, it's trying to examine, you know, what this sort of thing would do to people, um, how they would react. You know what what would happen, and of course, it, I think it does it pretty well. I mean, because it's funny to see Kirk get grumpy, yeah, and McCoy to just get happy and old, and perhaps he's sneaking whiskey. We don't know. Um, Scotty becomes whatever he becomes, and Spock gets to be late middle age, but that's because he's so much older. Even though it, he is going rapidly, he's Probably more akin to somebody, you know, in their late 60s who is still, you know, in perfect, in as perfect health as you can be, you yeah. know, and whose mind is still pretty sharp, but just starting to slow, you yeah. know, and so, you know, Spock is almost scared that he's normal. His brain is normal now. Well, there, yeah, there's that great scene with the Commodore where the Commodore tricks Spock into admitting that Kirk is not fit for command because Spock is not fit for command. Yeah. And, you know... Spock realizes that he needs to accept that this hearing has to happen because he he realizes that if he had not been slipping mentally, the Commodore could not have tricked him into that, into admitting that. Yeah. Which I think is interesting as well. And, I mean, his it's just the Commodore uses logic against Spock. And Spock, I think, realizes that, yeah, that's flawless logic. And, you know, Spock, no matter what, if you give him a good syllogism, he'll get, he'll go with it yeah spock has no ego yeah i think we can say and he realizes that if the logic takes him where he you know where he, he follows the logic wherever it's going to go basically yeah and in this case it follows it to a hearing where and it's interesting as well because um you know when spock comes to tell kirk that he has been relieved of command and the hearing scene um, I think is really well done, and it's certainly better than than you know like court martial, <laughs> um, or even the menagerie, which was kind of boring as well. Uh, well, court martial wasn't boring; it was just boring. <laughs> it was what it was. Yeah. But if you would like to know our thoughts on court martial, you can go back a few episodes. We have no idea which one it is. Let's say seven. Yes, go vo- listen to episode seven right now and rate it highly on iTunes. There you go. Good job, Richard. Uh, that you really did, like, you know, Scotty, uh, not Scotty, um, Sulu and Uhura are uh, testifying. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and they're sort of just like, Uhura especially does not want to say what she is saying. Yeah, and but they also they rec- feel very badly for him. You can tell that Spock's, you know, heart is broken as, while he's doing this because he does not. 
the reason Spock protects the captain as much as he can is out of respect for him. And they all know that they are seeing a great man about to, you know, dying and not able to handle that and losing all of his dignity. I mean, the spot when he's trying to, uh, uh, Kirk is trying to defend himself and just kind of going incoherent and making all these mistakes and just like, yeah, he's like, well, I don't want to do that because I'm an old man and I have a, that you know like it's just, yeah like, like he saying, falls like, asleep on stuff. the bridge it's st- you know oh yeah it's i like, forgot about that as it, but everybody's just looking at each other like just they can't watch this it's very hard for them and yeah yeah it's i mean i think i do i will say i think the one the one false step in the episode is is the scene where spock comes to tell kirk that he has been relieved of command and, and kirk goes on this weird like um, rant to Spock about how he always wanted this and yeah, you yeah. know he knew this was going to happen and he had to stab him in the back and it's just like I don't understand where that came from because yeah Kirk doesn't feel that way about Spock and never has I mean unless so, he's just old and going crazy that's the that's the implication yeah. I mean I, I thought it was funny that out of all of them Shatner got the least like aging makeup like he just had a little uh gray on the temples you know a couple of wrinkles and he even had a shirtless scene to really you know so the audience knows he's still kind of in his prime you know so they i felt i believe i it feels like they overcompensated for the lack of physical um changes by putting kind of the mental changes a bit more extreme and i'm sure and i'm sure that was all chatner being egotastic oh yeah like i don't want to look old you know so yeah of course you know and again spock Goes a little slip, you know. McCoy and uh, Scotty look awful. But... McCoy turns into like the crypt keeper. I, I mean, know. like it's crazy. Um, he's got this crazy hair and and and, and what and what about the uh, the 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 lieutenant with the pixie cut that suddenly goes long when she goes old? Like, does that is it? Uh, yeah. Who has my favorite line in the episode? Incidentally, which one? What a stupid place to hang a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> It like yeah. comes out of nowhere, and she's just like, "I'm old and angry." And then five minutes later, she drops dead in sickbay. I like the moment when she's about, you know, when, when she's, you know, crying because this is all happening, and Kirk goes and he's like, "You know, Lieutenant, you've got to do this. You know, you have your duties." And like he says it kind but very firmly, like, you know, like I know this sucks. This is really bad, you know. And but. Th- Okay, that's as, you, you grieved. Let's go to work. And she, you know, looks and she's like, yeah, you know, it's another example of, you know, Kirk does go very compassionately, but he does expect a lot of his people, but yeah. because they're capable of it. Oh, sure, absolutely. What what do you make of the the subplot with the endocrinologist who has a romantic history with Kirk? It's implied that he broke it off with her or she broke it they off with him. They had a two-body problem, basically. Yeah, like uh, he, he she had, had his her... career and she had her career. and, and Yeah, and... assumingly hers is one that, you know, is mostly staying in research stations or something. And obviously his takes him everywhere. So, yeah, the, the they almost rekindle their romance. You know, they talk about old times a little bit uh, before before they can really do anything serious about it. The plot happens. You know, because at one point she says, you know, my only I, – I admired, you know, my husband. You know, we were in a research, you know, for years, you know. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I regret not being with you. You know, that was the only – you were the only thing I had to give up, you know. You know, it's fu- – And, you know – sorry, yeah? No, it's funny because I actually really like this subplot. I don't like a lot of the yeah. romance subplots that Kirk gets because it just 
comes around to he wants an alien tail. Yeah. But I like this one because it humanizes Kirk in a way that I don't think we've really seen before, yeah. except for maybe in Operation Annihilate when we do see his brother, her, his wife, and and, and son, mm-hmm. uh, his, his nephew. And it, I like it because she is definitely in the Star Trek vein of, of, of woman, I am sexy, wearing her pink yeah. dress and everything. But we don't ever really get a sense that she's not competent. She does help come up with the, uh, the antidote, the cure for this thing. Yeah. And, you know, Shatner plays the scenes that they have together very interestingly in that he's playing them very subtly and you can kind of get a sense of a man who still loves this woman, but is holding back from that because he knows that it's not going to be possible. That's it. They know that, you know, they're, they're meeting after all these years and they're talking about, you know, it would be really nice and they do still feel that. Yeah. But at the same time, they still have a two body problem. They're still as invested in their career and it's not even considered that either of them would give that up. I, 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 I did l- appreciate that because how yeah. many times have we seen the woman give everything up for the man in the series? And the script is really smart about it because she still cares about him even as he's aging and getting older yeah. and sicker. So there's no there's no sense here that this is just about, uh, oh, about yeah. sex. This is really about uh, love and affection and these two people really caring for each other. Um, yeah. And, and of course, you know, the implication as well that, you know, towards the end of the episode when, when, when she gets to see him in his full glory again and she does yeah. help cure him that, that – you know, perhaps something will happen and it may not be a good idea. Well, I figured that, well, you know, because the, the, it does end with the two of them, you know, off to go off. And yes, I figured they would probably each find a way to beg off for a couple days, you know, spend some time together, maybe even make an effort to get a shore leave or two. But obviously, that's as much as they can ever do. Yeah. So I think they're just taking the time they can at the moment and moving on for that yeah yeah i think so um you know we touched about this and touched on this a little bit with with checkoff and the the torture porn of checkoff here um you know and 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 what what do you think about checkoff being the catalyst for the cure do you think it works because I have some you know, problems with it. I mean it, it's it's again because i didn't feel that the cure really mattered it, the, the reasoning behind the cure, be- behind why Chekhov wasn't, because he had adrenaline at the time, and... He was scared. And by and none of them, upon being told, okay, you're having, you've gotten radiation poisoning that within a week is going to age you and kill you, and you will go senile and crazy days before that happens... None of them got a little nervous about that. Like, I, no matter how tough Captain Kirk is, you would think there would be at least five minutes where he was not very happy. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the implication there is that, like, they needed some sort of, like, super dose or something. Yeah, but then how does he make a super dose just by seeing a dead body? And if Chekhov is the kind of person who will see one dead body and freak out enough to produce this super dose of adrenaline, then why is he... How did he get accepted to Starfleet in the first place? Well, that's that's an interesting question because that brings me to my next point, which is that um, I like that the show is setting Chekhov up as perhaps not being as competent with it as these people because any other character on the show, when they walked into that room and saw the dead body, they'd be like, 
Oh, all right. Um, a little, they might be shocked or upset, but... But they're not going to go running out of the room frightened to death just by seeing a dead body. So there is an implication there that Chekhov is extremely inexperienced. Yeah. And that perhaps they don't even really like him all that much. Oh, nobody. And this seems to mind that he's being... Uh... It's almost like it's almost like McCoy has uh, found a substitute for his uh, his needling of Spock... <laughs> in needling of, of Chekhov. I mean, McCoy likes to needle everybody. Oh, yeah, but... that, that's what he does. But at this point, you know, he can really needle Chekhov a lot. Yeah. I think he's been waiting for this excuse. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Okay, so the other thing that's in this episode, of course, is the, the Commodore subplot where he's a flag officer, but he's not... Uh, he's never had a command, and and the Romulans, the Romulans are back. Richard. Yes, I noticed that. Um, I I thought that was interesting because he is one of the most sympathetic uh Starfleet commander uh, people who has used regulations in order to get Kirk out of the way. Like the entire time, every single scene that this Commodore has, he's very apologetic. Like he. You know, when he's talking to Spock, he's like, you know, I he, he makes he goes out of his way to say, I have so much respect for Kirk, you know. And when he's in the trial, I think he says as well, you know, you're you know, you are a great officer. You are, you know, he doesn't he is making it very clear that this is not like in court martial, the result of a personal grudge or anything like that. It's just because out of his desire to realize that, you know. Kirk not being at his best will put many lives in danger, and he is doing the best thing. While the Commodore himself taking the command does, turns out to not be the right move, and he admits as much when Kirk comes back, um, getting Kirk out of the way was the right decision, and he, everybody, re- I, I think everybody realizes that the Commodore feels that way. There is no resist—anytime someone else has taken over the bridge, everybody else has been very upset at him. That's not the case here. Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, and this again is, is uh, I think, a, a sign that the script is, is, is really smart and knows what it's doing and, and works on a lot of different levels because um, I like the Commodore's character a lot. And he is definitely not one of those like Federation functionaries that appear yeah. in an episode just to be like, I am an obstacle to the plot. Um, he has his own motivations. He has his own personality. Uh, they characterize him extremely well in the limited amount of time they have to see him on the screen. And you do get a sense that he's a man who, you know, is a little over his head. And Kirk is dismissive of him calling him a, a desk bound paper pusher <laughs> at one point. But there's no malice there it's yeah. just that he doesn't realize how difficult it is to to command a starship and he makes a really bad decision to take the enterprise to starbase 10 going through the neutral zone yeah. um and but everybody realizes that his intention was good yeah and at the end of the day everything was fine because kirk was able i mean you know it's a little convenient that kirk yeah. was able to get cured just time. as this was happening but um and and the ease in which kirk immediately comes oh, to yeah, a within... solution with the problem i mean corbinite comes back but again. i love i want to talk about that solution actually a second which beyond the callback to corbinite which is awesome um I like how they do this business with this code, too. Yeah. So at one point, you know, he tells you know, her, oh, do this within code. You know, send a message to the Federation, you know, explaining what's going on and use code, two for this. And she says, you know, 
the Romulans have broken code two, and he says, "Oh, we we'll use code three. And this is also again brought up during the trial as one of that's that's what Yahura testifies as one of the things that Kirk should know that he's slipping on. And once he comes in, he says, "All right, you know, send a message using code two, and like Yahura gets like this, ah, uh, you know, like shit. Are you this okay? Is and he's like, "No, seriously, code two, and he just gives this fake message, you know, and." and I think that was very interesting because I didn't expect it to go that way. Like, I, I thought that the business with that had been d- finished already. And then they brought it up in this completely other context. And plus the thing of Corbin, that was a re- that was a nice surprise. It's nice because it's definitely an example of a really uh, – uh, the writer knew what he was doing. Yeah, and, was... and was setting things up, you know, f- to, for payoff much later down the line. And – you know, you, you can definitely see a much lesser uh, version of this episode where, you know, something like, as you know, Code 2 has been broken, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing, which they don't do. Um, it serves two purposes in the episode. Yeah, telling, you know, when when your hero says Code 2 has been broken, she is telling the audience, but there is a justifiable reason why this captain of the Shar ship does not know that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you make of the Romulans in this episode? Because we don't really see Romulans. We just, they're, they're ships and they're firing at, at the Enterprise. That's it. That's, yeah. that, I, I, I felt it was like Corbin, just a, this writer has, you know, loved the first season and loved those two episodes and just wanted to make a reference. It's something which makes the world seem uh, a more real, certainly, because if it was another alien species, you know, who cares, you know? It do, if you have never seen an episode before, Romulan just gets changed to evil alien, it's fine. If it's not, we know a little bit more about their history from Balance of Terror. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, why do you... I mean, I'm going to ask you this as someone who's not familiar with Star Trek. Why, why do you think that of all of the alien races that have encountered the, the, the Enterprise over the course of this season and a half, um, that... The Klingons and the Romulans are the ones that come back. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just they had the most potential for them. The the Gorn are not that interesting, you know. But they could be. I mean, we don't know yeah. anything more about the Gorn than we did about the Klingons and Errand of Mercy. And maybe it was just they needed, you know, to get. And you didn't like Balance of Terror, so you you. I mean, obviously, you felt that the Romulans perhaps did not have much. Uh, much uh, potential, but yeah. they, but they come back in this episode. So again, I don't feel like that they're doing anything more. You know, this may have even done, been for the fact that they, because I assume the Romulans then appear more times throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, maybe they had the ideas of where they wanted Romulan society to go. They didn't necessarily want to go into that in this episode. They didn't want to characterize the Romulans, but they didn't, for many reasons, want to come up with a completely new alien species and again to set up like well, no, maybe later guess... in we're going to go into more detail so we're going to set you know this might be just setting them up as a name that you remember and then in another episode when we see more of the romulans oh yeah rather than just those are the ones from balance of terror you say those are the ones from balance of terror and uh the delhi years you know those rascally romulans they were dangerous i Making him recurring makes it seem more dangerous. Possibly. Yeah, but that wasn't my question. My question, I mean, I understand oh. that. My question is, why yeah. do you think they picked the Klingons and the Romulans? Could be just the writer liked them. I don't know. Yeah, could be. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I know that. I, I. It's hard to say this just because the names Klingon and Romulans are so 
since I know where they end up within the series mythology, it's hard to see their origins and extrapolate how that would happen. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, the, 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 the fact that Klingon is a name that everybody knows is so... It, it's so set in stone that it feels like an inevi- inevitability. So I'm not sure if I'm able to answer that question. Does that but make I, sense? Yeah, but I guess I, I just find it interesting. I mean, and this is why I'm trying to. I'm, press, you I'm pressing you at this on this a little bit. Um, well, I mean, I think like I think the best um, candidate for a recurring alien that was not the Klingons or the Romulans was probably the Gorn. And I, I honestly think that they didn't use the Gorn just because it didn't look great. See that I I don't really think of the Gorn as a possible recurring because I just I think they're just a bunch of evil alligators. So that's... so so are the Klingons. I mean that's what we saw in Errand of Mercy. I mean there was really no interest there. Yeah, I mean but... they they were as interesting. The Klingons in Errand of Mercy in their first appearance were as interesting as the Gorn were in Arena. It has to yeah, but it could be just as it could be just as simple as whoever was writing um Friday's Child like did not like alligators and you know was told, all right, use an alien species from earlier in this episode, you know, because we want to reuse for, you know, mythologizing purposes, and he just happened to really like one of the Klingon episodes. It could just be as simple as that. Well, there was only one Klingon episode at that point. But, yeah, I I, I think it just has to do with the fact that there weren't that many options. And yeah. the, I think the Gorn are just a non-starter because, you know, the, 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 the suit doesn't look that great. And I think they know that. And... The Gorn worked as it did in Arena because it was just a, a nameless, faceless enemy that was sort of like, you know, in the in the Predator vein, I guess. Yeah. And uh, not Predator, like the, the Predator, like the movie, I'm saying. That's what I, yeah. I yeah, and just to make that clear. And I think, you know, you can't really have a, a Gorn character just because the suit doesn't lend itself to that. And they can't talk in the suit. So that those be, are yeah. those are two strikes against it, I think. That then, yeah, it could be as simple as that. They just couldn't figure out a way to make it feasible at this that time. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you have anything else to say about the Deadliers? Just that. What kind of colony was this? Because at one point they say, you know, on the experimental colony, and there is that pause in the line, and that made me very nervous about what this the point of this thing was. All I think it was a sex colony. I, that's that's that's. I didn't want to say it, but that I I. I, I Picture old people boning. Yeah, I think that. Well, they weren't old, but well, they they old looking people, aged people. Well, wizened. they had, they weren't old when they were supposed to be there, though. They were wizened. True. Age is just a number, my friend. Also, I miss Yeoman Rand. Yeah, I really miss Yeoman Rand. Every time there's a Yeoman, I'm like, why aren't you Rand? <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to mention, then we'll wrap this up. Is uh, I just like the concept of stargrams. Did you did you no, catch that I reference didn't. that when when uh, when Kirk um, and in the very early part of the episode when Kirk and the endocrinologist um, are talking about their history, uh, she says, "Well, you sent me a stargram once." <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I just like that concept. I don't even know if that ever comes up again. But oh, that's cute. You know, it's just like it's so weird to get little things like that which place the original series in a particular moment in time. Yeah. Like the whole idea of playing back tapes and, you know, record tapes, uh, which happened, I think in, in the last episode with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think Scotty asked Sulu to play back the record tape <laughs> and then with the, yeah, with the order, the order that turned out to be yeah, false. Yeah. Um, and then, or what? Yeah. And then in this episode with, with the star gram, of course, being a telegram. Yeah. It's the, 
the, the far in the future version of some uh, what we now know is an outdated form. <laughs> yeah, so it just makes you think about like you know what is going to be viewed as outdated from our science fiction, you know, in in fifty years, like you know, in the like Fringe or something, or, yeah. or, or Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> or any number of shows. I mean, it's, cell phones well, will look ridiculous one day. Yeah, like I mean, think about it in terms of like, okay, well, um, the communicators on Star Trek are are, are small, and that you know uh, uh, definitely. Um, the flip phones that we have were, were uh, inspired by that. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the little earpieces that people are wearing in, in Battlestar Galactica are going to look at as, as odd in the future. Well, I mean, you know, we I, see the, I, I, I see the way the earpieces in Star Trek look. They look very silly because, you know, nowadays, like, that what your her is wearing is probably would be closer to a Bluetooth, which is very tiny, you know? It would be a very small thing that she Well, Bluetooth play. was Yeah. Bluetooth was inspired by her earpiece. Really? Yeah. Huh. A lot of stuff. I figured that w- would make sense that it is. Yeah, can And we... from I mean science fiction in general does is in a dialogue with technology in that, you know, the fiction comes from the existing technology and then that will inspire other things. So. I mean, I think the whole the whole, you know, desire among people to have, you know, tablet computers comes from you know that that's not something that 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 is you know uh weird i mean we see that in star trek all the time oh we see it in sci-fi in general yeah. yeah i mean how much does when you're at the apple store and you see the people with their carrying their ipads how 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 future does that look yeah i mean i remember you know when i was in grad school and i, I walked into the library one day and they had uh overnight had suddenly replaced all of the the huge crt monitors um with flat panels yeah. and it was just like whoa like Looks like the future in here now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I don't know. It's fun. Yeah, I've used, I worked at my library in college when they did that. And, you know, I, I, I leaned against the microfiche machine and I said, we are living in the future. <laughs> and then you pointed at the sky. Uh, all right. So how many triples would you give this episode? I would give this nine triples. Really? You liked it that much? Yes, because of uh, it, it would have been a lower triple score. But the reference to Corbomite and the torture of Chekhov has given it a full triple. All right. I'll give it eight. Okay. So actually, I think your average is higher than mine this week, which I don't know has ever happened before. <laughs> well, good for me. Um, all right. Well, uh, next week we will discuss Obsession and Wolf in the Fold. Obsession. Obsession. We'll talk to you then.